Hey, it's Brian. Welcome to Heart to Heart, Episode 5, Embracing Your Emotions, featuring our guest, casting director Gail Pillsbury. Brace yourself for a story that will inspire you to take risks and be your authentic self in the entertainment industry. If you are a fan of profound journeys and trips to Burning Man, you will not be disappointed. Gail has gained invaluable insights on the importance of authenticity, risk-taking, and personal growth. But how did Gail's principles lead to her success? Keep listening to find out. Now, before you listen, you've got to grab our backstage pass. It is packed with Gail's top tips, insider advice, and additional resources that will give you a competitive edge. You can grab the backstage pass by going to podcastbackstagepass.com. But you know what? The first few things I thought of you today which went through my head without thinking was, number one, I couldn't wait for today. Not because of the casting credits, which of course are so damn impressive, but because you are someone who is very much alive. And I even remember last year talking with uh, Brian, you and I, about a situation. And we're not going to talk. But you know what's amazing, Gail? You're always like, you care so much. And I I wanted to start off by, so so this is what I thought again. I once was at a bookstore Mm -hmm. and I saw this book and it said, if you want happiness in your life, mm-hmm. turn the page. And it will reveal, the next page will reveal the answer to everything. I was like, all right, turn the page. And it said, and I think you're going to relate. We don't, you know, it said, you are going to die one day. Yeah. And it said, if you remember this, then all of your days that you're here, you will consider a gift. And that is what I think of you is that. You always live, when we talk to you, when you teach, when you're doing anything, you come across as someone who really takes each day as a gift. You're going to make me cry. No, but it's true. So that's, that's why. the biggest compliment well, ever. That's why I and Brian, we both got so excited to see you in this. We actually so did not invite many casting directors to be on here. No. Because I saw it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want this to be about the traditional. I'm as no. Brian would say, the sad thing about, oh, so what do you look for? In-? You know, you know yeah, here's, yeah. Here's, here's the first thing that, that really I want to know about. And I really want to know about, and I'm sure our audience, okay. You go to Burning Man every year. I do. How, how many years is it? Would you say how many years have you been doing this off and on? Okay. Burning Man, you mean? Yeah, Burning Man. I wish I could say from okay. the beginning. I wish I could look super badass, no, no, but no. not. Just 2017 was my first year. Okay. Yeah. So the mystery to me about Burning Man, because I've always been curious and want to go someday, right? Have to go. Turn the page, That's, dude. Well, well, this is why, this is why I really, I want to hear from Gail. What turned you on that since 2017 you go, I'm going back? Oh my gosh. Next year. About Burning Man? Yeah, like what is it about Burning Man? Because, you know, to me, I just know, oh, it's Burning But what is it about Burning Man that makes everybody I know who I've met say, oh, once you go, you don't go, you you go every year? Because, especially in this day and age, right, with kind of the impermanence of everything. We live in a disposable culture. Mm. We can dispose of people we don't like Mm. and their thoughts. Mm -hmm. We can dispose of a phone if the screen cracks or whatever, Mm -hmm. right? Burning Man has this root in the impermanence of things, but they create an entire society knowing that it is just temporary for only for the people who were there to enjoy it, to take it in 
and it's all going to be lit on fire and it's just going to live inside you. And then you leave Berlin and you leave Black Rock City and you just carry it with you. And by the way, there are, you know, rules by which people live that ideally are also carried forth in life. Radical acceptance. Okay, so there's no judgment. Whatever your opinions are, however you dress, however you express your, yourself, it's radical acceptance. Okay, there's also leave no trace. Anything you come in with, you leave with, right? You cannot even drop a feather on your costume on the playa without picking it up. Or if for some reason people are irresponsible because they do, right? You have all the Burning Man volunteers who clean up the playa entirely. So it's absolutely leave no trace of what existed there, right? Which is also beautiful, especially as you walk through these cities like LA, I live in Echo Park, mm -hmm. and there's trash everywhere. Right. Or you go into a campground anywhere, and there's trash everywhere. It's like, oh, these people are not burners, right? <laughs> right. This is also, it's also a good life lesson, right? Yeah. yeah. And all of this art and all of this beauty and all of these worlds are created only for that week of experience. That's it. Okay, so when you say so it ends with burning, does everybody burn their art? Well, the actual man. So there is an actual man. That all the, all the communities come together for that actual man? Like they gather around him? He's the center of the playa, yeah. And how, so, how big is the playa? Oh, it's, I mean, I don't know what the actual acreage is in Black Rock City, but we're talking 80,000 people are there. Yeah, still massive. Oh, because he must be pretty tall. So, oh, he's massive. He's yeah. huge. Yeah. He's huge. He's built every year. And he's a different design. And then you also have a temple that's built. So you have artists all over the world who submit their designs mm -hmm. to Burning Man. So they get chosen. So they get chosen oh. to build the man, to build the temple, right? Because there's a temple there also. And so the man burns on Saturday, the temple burns on Sunday. They're very different experiences. All week, the people are visiting the temple. They're sitting there. They're bringing artifacts of loved ones that they've lost. Um, are they meditating in the temple? Some people meditate. Some people dance. Some people sing. Some people just walk around it. Wow. But people bring things of someone that they loved or like someone will bring a pen or like a notepad and you're sticking them all over places in the temple, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, something is, you know, um, I remember one year I was like, fuck you, motherfucker who raped me when I was 14. You get no ownership of me anymore. And then just know that you're leaving something there that no longer serves you, that's going to go up in fire. It's really about the death of what doesn't hold you anymore and the rebirth of self, spirit, empowerment, whatever. It's beautiful. I want, I want to stay with Burning Man sure. for, for one second because it made me think of this. I want to ask you, that reminds me of what people say about ayahuasca. Because they say that when, when someone does something like ayahuasca, right, they say that it is something where you actually can heal your past. In a lot of cases, uh, parents uh, from the past, like, they come up in different visions and, and the person confronts these, like, demons that cause the kid to, like, grow up as an adult angry or what have you. 
when you were describing Burning Man, it sounded a little bit like like yeah, that. Would you say there's a parallel? It's very similar. Are we taping? No, 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 don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's oh. conversation. <laughs> this, is, this is what it's about. This is, this is not some like, oh, have you seen it? Yeah. Right. So that's, I told you it wouldn't be like a regular no, 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 no. That's why just your just normal chatting. casting director is not coming in because yeah. this is what it is. So great. Thanks. <laughs> there, are, there are, I love that you align those things. Yes, I would say there are similarities. And they're actually... Um, you know, when you do one, you get Burning Man or plant medicine or whatever, you start finding people everywhere who do this. You actually start finding your community. I think you're casting that line out there, like into the universe, but also socially, physically, right? So at Burning Man, yes, you find a lot of healers. And there are people who are serving plant medicine, like Hape or you know or something you shaman know. shaman yeah okay yeah yeah exactly wow i mean at burning man and i'll get to your ayahuasca question but at burning man there's kind of like there's just everyone there is literally something for everyone right so i mean you can find you can go into a tent where you're making your own pasties you know, you can go into a tent where you're drinking tequila and... Are they selling tequila and, or no? No, you don't. There's no... That's, no money is exchanged. That's what I hear. So, so in the tent, you bring your own or there's someone brought tequila for everybody. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's in, see, Or like mixed drinks or food. Like, because it is... That's another, that's another of the 10 principles is radical self-reliance. Mm. So you need to come with all of your food and all of your water and all of your alcohol and all of your everything. Right? right? But you also know that you're going to walk into a tent and someone's going to be like, here, here's, here's some, you know, coffee or do you want something to eat? Or you're out on the playa and all of a sudden you realize I've been out here for two hours and I didn't bring enough water and someone's just magically going to ride up and be like, do you need some water? Do you want a cold beer? Like everyone takes care of everyone else, which is also the, the beautiful thing. This is because you just feel love. You just feel 100% love there. And that's what I will tie into plant medicine, right? Is that when you are sitting in ceremony with ayahuasca, you have to be careful. Which is natural, all natural. Plant medicine. Yeah. Right? You have to be careful because there are some charlatans out there, right, who are serving medicine and, you know, maybe have not been initiated by the tribes in the jungle or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not like a medical doctor where they have, you know, right. they have their diploma. <laughs> they went to school. It's all on the wall. And you're like, I'm serving you ayahuasca. You're like, okay. <laughs> you have to. It really is word of mouth. You want to make sure mm-hmm. that you're sitting in ceremony with someone who's really deeply honoring of the medicine and knows how to serve and knows how to take care of you because it can get harrowing, right? Because yes, it is unearthing Mm. whatever it is you need. The medicine knows, right? Get out. So like medicine, plant medicine, it's not like drugs. Like some people think, oh, I'm going to go take ayahuasca. I'm going to have like, you know, I'm going to go take bufo and have this like amazing. And a bird's going to sit on my shoulder. Yeah, You're not socializing when you're in plant medicine. It's not like doing any other drugs, even mushrooms, which are a plant medicine, right? right? Mm-hmm. But you can kind of, depending upon what your dosage is or whatever, like you can kind of go out 
in mushrooms, right? No. Especially if you're microdosing, you're operating like a normal human being, but that's a aside. But you can be in a social setting, right? If much, when you're doing bufo or combo or ayahuasca, it's all internal, okay? And the thing is, like drugs, recreational drugs, you do it, you have this awesome experience, you feel great, but then you feel like crap the next day. So plant medicine's the inverse of that. It can be harrowing while you're in the journey. Mm. But it lives with you in beautiful evolution as the days go on and on. And it just continues to exist in you. And it is about like what you learn in the journey and then what your shamans kind of help translate for you that you experience, right? And then how you integrate that. You know, there are a lot of people there who have experienced incredibly harrowing trauma in their life, right? We all have. I mean, you know, sure. in different values and degrees. Yeah. Right? But it's all it's also personal, right? It's all relative. It's not to be compared or contrasted. We're all there. People are there to heal. People are there to at Burning evolve. Man. At Burning Man or in plant ceremony in ayahuasca. Mm-hmm. So those are the similarities. Is you have people who are coming together to heal, to experience evolve like there's deep similarities between them yeah well there's a through line here with even some of the acting stuff we're going to talk about but i want to hear so gail's getting ready to go to birmingham do you yeah. go with friends or do you go just with your i go with friends okay so you go with friends how many like, and my husband like how many total friends do you go with like four it depends we have two friends that okay. i go with all the time mm-hmm the first time I went, I took my daughter and her best friend. Oh, okay. So it was just, wow. just us, right? <clears throat> but then my husband and our two friends, um, Chad and Wendy, and Wendy has been going to Burning Man since the very, very beginning. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's in, she's going 20 blah, blah years, right? right. And, but, but you go and there's, and there's always somebody else, other friends who attach, or you go and you camp with, you know, your friend or friend, but you're always meeting people. Oh, right so this is what I want to ask you. So, so you're going with your friends. Are you in a car? Are you in one car? Or you take multiple cars to um, get there. We take an RV. They have theirs. Okay. They have an RV then, too. So everyone is kind of all set up. Some, people, discuss- some people are in tents. Mm-hmm. Some people are at RVs. We all bring food. We all you share. Discuss, it's you discuss the menu. You discuss, hey, I'm going to bring this. You yes. bring that. Okay. So you get there. Now, now the tickets are, they're not cheap, right? Are they no. like, okay. So whatever the tickets are, do you, when you get there, and, and uh, it's in the desert. Where is it again? It's in Black Rock City. It's, Black in, Rock it's City. in Nevada. Okay. So it's about an hour and a half outside Reno. Right. So you leave in here. You get there in one day, right? Yeah. Okay. Is there a long line when you get there of cars to get in? There is for people who go really early. It depends on the time you arrive. So it's kind of like, I don't know if you've ever been to any music festival like Coachella, <laughs> right, or something. Like you're sitting in a long line. Okay, and so you are. Sometimes during the course of the day, depending upon what time you get there, it's more, yeah, you, you, you sit there for hours. Are you prepared for a long line? I usually roll in super early in the uh-huh. morning. Or super late at night, Smart. which is the time one, it's cooler. So you're mm-hmm. not sitting out mm-hmm. in that in the sun. blazing sun, right. right? And two, the lines are 
this so is I've real. never had to sit in a big line okay. going into to Burning Man. So then when you get to the line, is there like a guy in a window or a guy obviously in the window, but like the guy at the gate, is there like a gate that oh. he goes, you're in? Oh, yeah, because you have to imagine like, okay, imagine the largest expanse of desert your your mind and can fathom. Okay. And there's no structures. There's no streets. There's no anything for as far as you can see. Like there's some mountain ranges like way, way, way far out there. Right. So that's the beautiful thing about Burning Man organization. All of the volunteers who are hold Burning Man so deep in their heart is you have thousands of volunteers who go out and create this Mm -hmm. city, this structure. Right. So you have Cone lanes and like Bureau of Land Management has already put up like fencing. It's out there, right? Big expanse. And so, yeah, so there are lanes so that when the cars come in, they're all lined up. And then you have all these volunteers who are like beautifully costumed and happy, and they're all there to like check everyone's cars. So like you're in, and then you, you get to the... And you go, and they yeah, and you check your tickets, uh-huh. and then they have the whole, like, ticket structure, wood structure for people who have issues with their tickets, and it's like any festival. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They're just making sure that you have, you know, that you have your car camping pass, that you have your, your tickets, that, you know, you, you haven't forged something. Yeah. yeah. So they let you in. Where do you, where do you, where do you find your campground? Like, how do you do that? Well... There are many different ways, right? But yeah, there are camps. That's the thing is that Burning Man is all of the camps are set up on like this sundial, right? So if you have, if you are attached to a camp that already exists, that already has placement, you know where they are. They're at E4 or they're at, you know, A21, right? On the sundial. Right. And so, you know, where you're going to go up and put your RV or your tent. Right. Because the camps get placement or kind of early on in the process. Right. By Burning Man. So they can organize who's on the Esplanade and where everyone's placed. And then there's also people who just kind of don't aren't attached to a camp, but just kind of camp out on their own out of the grid mm-hmm. right they just ride their bikes and grid, right you still have to have tickets though oh, do you bring a bike by the way oh you have to bring oh, a bike you do wow you absolutely have to. i didn't otherwise, know that it, it would you yeah otherwise you would not be able to get it. it's wow. too big no but some people are coming from like, let's just say new york so do they have to like they rent a bike for that week yeah oh my gosh when people you, just pick up cheap bikes i was like, gonna say you know what a great bit i would i would <laughs> what i would do is yeah. i buy like 150 bikes and start selling right there. <laughs> which would be super smart yeah but the sad thing is is like thousands of bikes are left on the playa when people leave because just, they're like well uh, there's bikes for wow. 25 bucks and i'm flying back to spain i just get a big shit keep it there for next year anyway what do you yeah. Are there bathrooms or like? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> he would yes. not like. 
no pooping on the playa. Leave no trace. I'm so traumatized. I couldn't wait for the answer. Oh, yes, of course. Burning Man has bathrooms. <laughs> okay. Well, no, yeah. so your RV? Well, we have an RV, oh, okay. right? Okay. But, like, and that's part of the reason that we rent an RV is like our friends have a Mercedes Sprinter, right? Ooh. So it doesn't have like a bathroom in it, or that's, you know, they come with toys, but they don't use that one. They use ours, you uh -huh. know, like, and so it is like a communal. And there's a shower too that you can. <laughs> so, here's the amazing thing. Yes, our, uh, our RV has a shower. No one takes showers. No, but here's the amazing thing. One of the camps at Burning Man is this amazing, it's an amazing shower. Like you wow. go in. Continuous shower. You, everyone goes and you stand in line and you get soaked down oh and some people are soaping down each other and it's this wow. huge shower you get wow. sprayed. So everyone's like yeah, well, no. I'm a shower. And someone else is Yeah, and you can have someone uh, you soap you down. Or you, you can't can judge. Right. Wow, I love it. It's radical acceptance. Right, right. So some people are fully <laughs> naked. Oh, my. Some people may not feel comfortable with that. So they're this. in a bathing suit or uh, whatever. Uh, or they're undies. I love it. I love that. And that's part of the thing about Burning Man that I think people love so much is we live in Los Angeles. We live in a very expressive, very accepting community, city, state, let your freak flag fly. And then we're in this industry, which encourages that even more. A lot of people don't have that in their day-to-day -day life, right? Or, but even or maybe saying. they live in a place that is more judgmental, yeah. where difference isn't accepted, mm -hmm. you know, where maybe there's more conservative viewpoints on how we express ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. So you go to Burning Man and you just experience this freedom of expression. You can dress up any way you want and nobody is furrowing their eyebrows at you. Nobody's going to say anything to you. In fact, they're going to come up and they're going to hug you and they're going to welcome you home and tell you that they love you and you're going to be all these friends and it is all this genuine acceptance and love. And there's a lot of people, sadly, in this world who don't experience that unabashed demonstrative acceptance and so they go to Burning Man and they're seen and they're not judged and they're loved and they get to express love and they see art and they're dancing and they're being weird or awkward or like kind of whatever it is that your hang up is you can let it go there you know and you're totally loved. And so some people walk away profoundly and forever changed. Like whenever I come home from Burning Man, I cry for like over a week. Wow. Because just reintegrating back into just kind of regular life and regular and life. And also, hard. you connected to the, to, to the, you know, you know, this is what I was going to, uh, I want to come back to this because what I was going to, what made me think of this is in another lifetime, I, I don't know if you know this, I booked comedians. I, I ran oh. this festival called the New York Comedy Film Festival. I knew that. I thought that 
about you. So, yeah. anyways, we, we also did a tour. So, like, we got a sponsor, and then we would go to colleges, and I'd have to book the comedians. And there's always those moments, right, where the comedian will say something where the entire audience feels connected. He disarms everybody, yes. and as a result, what you're yeah. saying about Burning Man, yeah. that's I, I came to the conclusion that's why everybody's so hungry to see some good comedy. They, they want to connect completely. Hey, it's Brian. I'm dropping in on an important announcement. What you need to know is you have more control over your career than you think. The thing standing between you and the career you want is your connections. And that's where one-on-one next level comes in. If you are not a member yet, you can apply to join at oneononenextlevel.com. Press pause and do that now. If you are already a member and you are ready to get back on track, we want to invite you to book a strategy session with us led by myself personally. We will help you prioritize which classes make the most sense given your career goals. You can find these under the resource hub in your account portal. We can't wait to hear your success story. Now with acting, there's something that happened to me last night, just happened last night. And I just want to see if you go through this or or, because you know you do this every day. But once in a while, someone will come along, right? And, and whether it's at theater, or blah, blah. but I was watching. Okay, I'm gonna. I was watching Blonde. Okay, <laughs> the, the, the Monroe uh, film. And this woman, Anna Darmus. Yes. I gotta tell you, when I had to, I had to tell my wife. I said, "Stop what you're doing. I, I just want you to come here for two minutes." And I said, and she goes, "No, no, no. I'm busy." I said, "Just for two minutes." I said, I want you to watch this person playing that. And I just want you, do you, do you am I just seeing something? Or does this person, I mean, this person, like, she is just, on, I mean, she's going to connect everybody to Marilyn because the way she's playing her. And, and her talent is like, and that's why, of course, I originally got into this. So I'm just curious, did, did, did you, did you by any chance see Blonde? Or? I have, okay, but right, I right. want to. But okay, no, so when you see somebody like that, does, does, does that happen? Because, you know, that, that there's a connection to that. And when you're talking about it, Burning Man. Yes. Okay. Yes. Good. Yes. Good. And in <laughs> fact, sometimes in class, that's exactly what I say to actors, where they're like, you know, they'll say, like, what else should I be doing? What else should I do to kind of... But like further my career, or you know, like what, like what else? Yeah. I'll just say, live your life. There, 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 there is no golden secret. If you're not living your life, or if I mean, like, when did our society kind of devolve to the place where we have to be a hundred percent productive? hundred percent of the time or we start feeling like we're not doing enough or like we start feeling badly about ourselves. Like particularly <laughs> if you're in a field, an artistic field, an artist, we have to have time to daydream. If you're not giving yourself downtime, right? If you're not giving yourself time to daydream, you're not kind of filling your cup, right? And so things like Burning Man or Coachella or seeing art, seeing theater, that helps fill our cup. Like, how are you going to express yourself? How are you going to tap in to all of, like, the beautiful psychological variances or, or, or emotional expansiveness if you're not actually living it in your own life, right? Mm-hmm. So... Yes, I do see it. Like, and it's one of the most exciting things about what I do. It's why I love what I do so much. And it's why I get sometimes 
terrifyingly, first be passionate with them because I want them to embrace, to step into the fear, to let go of the tidiness, to let go of, I guess, kind of whatever self-doubt or insecurity that we may have stepping into art because what's that what that's going to do is not allow you to completely align yourself with this character right because that's the goal the way you just described Anna's performance in Bond right or, or anything that we're looking for it's when you are not aware that you're watching an actor doing a scene you are watching a person in life right it must be like a surfer, you know, is constantly will sit out there for hours and hours and hours yes. for that perfect way. Yeah. Because when there's a perfect alignment, oh they're really just like 100% part of nature mm-hmm. in that perfect moment. And the right? timing has to be right for them to catch the wave. Yes. Like, I, I mean, I just know that from body surfing, not from surfing, but it's amazing when you can catch it at the right time. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of how my job feels when I wow. see that perfect alignment. You show it. Of, of actor to scene where they just let themselves go and they're not giving me a rehearsed performance, which you can see, like... There's no time to even worry about what Everything has fallen away. Yes. Like, just literally everything falls away. Ride the wave. Ride yeah. the wave. Yeah. Well, what I was telling Mark about your class is what you also, you also, like, really talk about they should let go of the excuses, like all the, all the, like... All the extra crap that's like added on that somehow like somehow has been like added into the equation these days. Like that's what I think why I think so many people gravitate towards your class is like there's a realness about not just the work but also the reality of the business. Yeah. Have you ever seen someone ride the wave and they're on top of the wave and they're saying, This wave isn't big enough? <laughs> yeah, you mean yeah, when they're right. struggling after they get a series and then they forget to appreciate it? Yes. Yeah, there's many stories of that. And you're like, oh, snacks, snacks. Remember what it was like when you were crying like a baby princess because you couldn't get a job? <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> I, I feel like the actors that like come to your class with the stuff that they can like usually get away with, like you, like, you hone in on it, you've seen it before and you like call them out on it and you really she really pushes them to like the next level literally because you know what you're not trying to call them out for the sake of it you want them to understand right because you know what i do the same thing for myself i'm no different this is what i try and tell them like casting directors do this too like i think everybody does right we all have those (laughs) negative voices right in our minds that like shatter at us that create insecurity and so what we do is we create trapdoors mm. we're constantly creating trapdoors for ourselves, and it's and it's just an, it, they're excuses they're a series of excuses that will you know that, that we construct to protect ourselves from failure mm-hmm. in a way but what they really are are manufactured albatrosses that keep us down from succeeding Right, because because the idea of success is terrifying for a lot of people. So it's like if I walk in and I have an excuse, right? 
I would have been so great at this audition, but I would work like late last night. I was on set till two in the morning. Like you've already, you know, you're already telling us not to take you seriously. Why? Why? I wouldn't have, you're putting something in my head that would not have existed. And you just walked in, owned the moment, right? Even if in your head you're like, man, I, would have, I wish I would have had a couple more hours. I really could have nailed this. Even if that is actually the truth. If you say it out loud to the room, then we're saying, what, we're not supposed to take you seriously? And you're just, you know, creating protection for yourself. So if you don't get a call back, You've announced to yourself and to the room, well, it's because I didn't have enough time. Yeah. Don't do that. I, I'm on your side. I choose to vote for you, right? So choose to vote for yourself. Choose to be on your side instead of all of these other things. Again, which may be true. We all have life experiences that like create stumbling blocks for ourselves, right? But, but I don't know. I just find it more often than not people are just trying to like kind of fill that space with excuses. Um, last night, Brian and I were watching every year uh, the one-on-one Next Level Actors. On, they, they go in front of the Columbia grad school, the, the, the film students, film school students. So this one woman who was no young buck, she was like, you know, she was in her 50s or 60s even. First thing out of her mouth was, I apologize about the background. Uh, you know, I'm in... Uh, who, it's the first thing to apologize about, even if there is no excuse for a background, just didn't, it immediately sets a tone. It immediately sets a tone. And I get it, I understand the impulse, I really do. Like sometimes I have to really, you know, tell myself not to do that. I understand it, right? But it's just become such a common thing, yes. right? Or like or actors, like there were so many pages. <laughs> right, right. That never flies again. <laughs> okay, like as soon as you can't win. Yeah, right. Like there weren't enough pages. There's too many pages. There's so much dialogue. Like, <laughs> but as soon as this woman, before she even opened her mouth, we, we, she wouldn't even let us like her because as soon as you apologize, the human condition is you just go like a. You know what I mean? You already apologize. Yeah, there you go. It deflates the energy. There yeah. you go. What, what I selfishly really like about you know Gail's classes is you know with us they they. Yeah. The thing is, we've run so many programs where, like, I can tell, like, they walk in and it's like, especially in some of our special programs from like twenty-seven agents and managers. There's a lot of stakes. It could change their life. It could change their career. I can, you can tell with some, they're like looking for things to be upset about mm-hmm. as a defense mechanism to protect themselves. That's it. And I was like, well, one-on-one didn't. They didn't give me free lunch, so that's, <laughs> that's why I didn't get time. Nice. Or the room wasn't big enough. Or yeah, yeah. yeah. Or that's like, it. Like, yeah. Or my yeah. Or this and that. Yeah. Life is always full of this stuff. You know, life what I mean? is full of this stuff. And yeah. these guys are so amazing. Like the actors, I don't know how you find them, but there's you guys have the greatest group of actors, and they're adults, and they're mature, and they're game, and they show up. You know, it's so it's really, really, really fun for me, you know, because I'm like a reader of people. Like, I kind of think it's part of the casting director's job, right? We have to kind of read how actors are feeling so we know if they need to be, you know, if they need to chatter a little bit to kind of loosen up the nerves. 
we're talking an in-person audition, you know, or, or you know, we have to read our producers or directors and read energy and all of this stuff. But the same thing goes into teaching a class. You can tell the people who are just there and they're just these open vessels and they're so excited and they're so game. And they're like, no, really? Like, like, I want to know what's going on. And then you can kind of tell the people who are, yeah, maybe just kind of looking I don't know, to be seen or to be fluffed or to kind of, you know, you just kind of like read all that. But you guys are pretty amazing. There's not a lot. Well, what's interesting is you're talking. The first thing in my head was, do you remember the black and white Frankenstein when they all come to the the house to like, and they have these like burning, burning, they want to kill them, right? So when, when this whole thing, in other words, what the invaluable opportunity that an actor has to like, be and hear this from you, someone who's not necessarily an acting teacher at a university or just doing acting teachings, but who's involved with, you know, casting every day. And then you get like four years ago, this like pay to play thing where they wanted to kill anyone who, who was involved with a, a school that offered a casting director to teach. But look at what you're saying. Like, how valuable is that? Well, I thought so too. I mean, because look, like Brian, you know this. Like, I took Stella, my daughter, right, a couple of years ago, and she was still in high school. So we, you know, she's an artist, right? She's a musician. She loves to perform. Ever since she was a teeny tiny wee thing. So we toured a lot of schools that had performing arts programs, right? Went to New York, went to Northern California, like we went, you know, to Canada, blah, blah, blah. And part of that process when you're doing these kind of orientations or these school visits is you get to kind of talk to the professors, right? So in all of these different acting schools. And points of view, yeah. And I'm listening to kind of what their approach is to teaching people. And I'm thinking, that is so ancient. You're giving your students ancient approaches to acting like what are any of you doing and this sounds terrible and it sounds really judgmental so forgive me but but are any of you actually in the business now because it changes and evolves so quickly now especially with everything online and you know i mean just in the you know 30 plus years i've been doing this which is a long time but it's still changing really quickly and i so part of the reason that I love teaching and will always continue to teach is that I'm still working in this business and I know how it changes. And I know a lot of what these kids are learning in their super fancy and expensive repertory kind of university experiences aren't necessarily germane to what they're going to be experiencing once they're out in the real world as actors. And I want to help unpack that for them. I want to help kind of demystify all of the conflicting information they get, right? Mm-hmm. And it's going to happen forever. Like actors still, their you know, eyes roll in their head. Like they're going to hear something different from me. They're going to hear from another casting director. Everybody has their own different set of rules. But I try and just kind of wipe it all away so that they can know what actually matters and what doesn't. Mm -hmm. And I do think that's valuable information. And so the fact that there was a whole movement of people that wanted to just obliterate 
this experience for people, these casting director teachings, it's like, we're trying to help actors. We are actually there to help you, to teach you what we know. And isn't that of value? Like, why is that not of value? I don't get it. Baby King, kill them all, burn them all, kill them get them all. all. Yeah, and meanwhile, there's some prominent people uh, who are speaking about this and they don't understand that there is a real value with being in a classroom with someone who really sees the new technology, what's happening, why maybe certain people are booking, why certain people aren't. Is that a terrible thing? Is that a terrible yeah. thing? Yeah. Because here's the thing too, a lot of actors, right, that'll do these workshops are either not represented or underrepresented, right? And so what a casting director or casting associate or casting assistant that's teaching a workshop, that's teaching a class, gets to do is they get to discover what these actors' talents are, right? If we're receiving 3,000 submissions for co-star roles even, right? You're going through those submissions. I go through all of them myself. I don't know how other offices do it. doesn't matter. But I'm going through all those submissions, all of those postage stamp size photos myself, right? You know who you know, right? I know who I know, I know who's right for this role. But then what else do you draw from as a casting director, right? Actors who you've seen do work, people who, you know, but but you're going through these breakdowns. It's like, I also draw from the students I know from class. I go into all my old classes because I don't care if they're not represented or if they're with a small agent or a small manager, right? I know them because I saw what they did in class. All casting directors care about is how you slay a scene, <laughs> right? So I can go into my classes and pull actors that I would not have known had I not taught at one-on-one, -on -one, right? Like they just may have been a picture of another actor that I didn't know Thousand. amongst thousands, right? So it's hugely advantageous and and by the way, even when I was an assistant teaching, my friend Patrick Rush brought me into teaching because Come he <laughs> taught it was, and he taught me the value of it. And some people will poo-poo like assistants or associates teaching. Don't do that. Like if it's for a casting director whose work you admire, you have to consider that those assistants and those associates are proving their taste to their casting director bosses. That's what I did when I was an assistant, when Patrick had me fallen for one of his classes. It's like, I could then go in and say, oh my God, Patrick, I had these amazing actors in my class last night. I could give them the pictures and resumes and I could tell him what I loved about what I saw in their scenes the night before. Or he could come out and he could go, Gaily Gail, do you have anyone from your workshops who's right for this role? I'd be, yes, <laughs> I could, one, I could bring in those actors who I had seen in class, right? Which feels good. But two, I can prove to Patrick, my boss at the time, what my taste is. And he could either say, they were really great, Gail. That was totally perfect. Or, yeah, that wasn't such a fit. Like, well, let's try them for a different role. But there's a conversation taking place between me as a casting assistant, casting associate, with my boss, 
and you're developing your confidence in expressing your creative opinions to your casting director boss, you're proving your taste, you're getting used to expressing yourself creatively, it's a win-win. And so it would always make me sad to hear people say, oh, assistants are teaching. Don't, don't because they're going to be casting directors one day. They're going to be casting directors one day. And they are, they are trying to prove themselves. And again, like everyone is still on the side of the actor. Does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like I'm over time. No, no, no. So back to the beginning, I said how excited we were because you are like so alive. So you do all kinds of things. You make your own jewelry. I do. So that woman who makes her own jewelry, does all these things. What drew you into this business? Like, how did you choose casting? Because you were never were you, were you like a twelve year old girl who said, "I want it." Yes. What happened? Yeah, I was never an actor. Well, I always loved television and movies. And I mean, to the point where I think my parents were actually really concerned about me. <laughs> you know, I don't come, I don't come from my, my father was a physician. Like I come from his whole side of the family were all doctors. Wow. Right. And, um, you know, all big brained academic, you know, and, and so then my parents have this daughter who's watching television all the time. <laughs> you know, yeah. that was kind of like, <laughs> and they used to jokingly, like, offhandedly say, like, well, I hope you find a career. And, <laughs> and no, one, I, no one they knew at all wow. was in the entertainment business. Because you grew up in Long Beach. I grew up in Long Beach, fourth generation Long Beach. Wow. And, um, and they were and hugely involved in the community. Like, we grew up just with this vast community of friends and families and it was a beautiful, beautiful town to grow up in. No one in the entertainment business, right? So anyways, I always loved television, loved theater, loved movies. I went to USC. I, you know, for a while. You went to USC. Were you good? Did you know when you were a freshman at USC what you wanted to do? Because I did. Good. Yeah. Because I had no idea. Yeah. I thought maybe I, maybe I wanted to be in fashion. Like I you know, studied in Paris for eight months. When did you start doing the jewelry then or no? Like No, uh, COVID. Are those your earrings? Are they, yeah, unbelievable. my necklace, oh, they do. Un- all right, so back to USC for, uh, so I went to, yeah. So, so I, no, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Yes. Oh, I know, again, my parents, I think were deeply oh worried about me. <laughs> and, um, and so, I started taking some film classes, you know, and fell in love with it. Why are you at the right place? I was at the right place. Yeah. I wouldn't get into the USB now. Let's <laughs> 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 be clear. But, um, but I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And so then I started doing internships. Like I did internships for for um, NBC, the NBC Page program. Yeah, right after ABC school. Page during during school. While you're yes, when I was like a senior. Oh. I started doing internships for, you know, for a morning talk show here, which at the time was called AM Los Angeles. Wow. So I started kind of like, you know, I was in the ABC Page program. So then you got to like work at the Academy Awards and the Comedy Awards and all of these different offices. So I start, started to actually learn 
what people in this business do. And I just worked by one of the men that I worked with, his wife was in casting. And I just said, can I just, can I take her to coffee and pick her brain? Like, what is that? Cause I had always been obsessed with actors. Like I'm sure people who are interested in wardrobe are watching what people are wearing or people who are interested in makeup or watching that. You know what I mean? Like, I was always particularly interested in in the actors, but I never wanted to be an actor, right? Mm-hmm. And so I just kind of went and I met with his wife, Lori. What is this thing you do? <laughs> she was an assistant to a casting director, Peg Halligan. And they brought me on as their intern. And I just knew nothing. I knew nothing. And thank God for their patience mm-hmm. because they just trained me and then I became their assistant and then their associate. And then I went, you know, Peg kind of got out of the business after, after a number of years of working with her. And, um, I went and went and became an assistant in the casting department at NBC and worked for Leslie Lynn, Stephen O'Neill, my dear friends to this day. And again, like I'm just, you know, then from there, Meg Lieberman and Mark Hirschfeld just like kept building an understanding of casting from kind of every different angle, from being online and then the networks and the studios and and I'm so I'm so fortunate that I just had really amazing bosses again who were patient with me and taught me along the way because there was a number of years that I was just kind of a grumpy assistant you know i have a bit of an artist's temperament myself but. Uh, but i bet you when you look back and you made that first step this is so important for people to hear it's incredible how life is that way where you take the, uh, a step towards what you're supposed to do and something always happens to lead to the next to the next yes. to the next and it's not so easy there's always those times where you're like geez i'm being treated but i'm still sticking in there and you know what look at what happens then but to this day, I mean, there, to this day, it's like every single job I have, I feel like I learn something from, right? I learn how to be a better communicator. I learn how to be more efficient. I learn how to not take things personally. I learn how to, to help the producers and navigate their vision together because now we're holding a lot of people in casting right and we have so many executive producers and so many and you and you have all of these studio executives you have all of these network executives and all of these people can have varying creative visions and everyone wants to believe that the casting director has their vision at front and center of their mind and we have to cinch everyone together and make sure that everyone feels heard and safe and that casting can be an emotional process for people because it is a process where people can know what they want but not necessarily know how to express it Mm. you know what I mean (laughs) so we have to make them all feel okay and just kind of be a mind reader but also calm and also just keep going and also make each of these entities feel like everything's taken care of. And there's a lot of moving parts all the time. So the way that you're expressing that is kind of like you were expressing Burning Man. No, it's really totally. cool. Like, isn't that incredible? Totally. Yeah. 
Exactly. Which is partly why I need Burning Man. Like, yeah. It presses the restart button for the whole year. Because so, it connects it connects all of us in such an accentuated way where then you can go out into the world and you know, know hey, I'm still connect I'm still connected. Radical acceptance. Mm-hmm. So even if you have somebody who is who doesn't totally see your vision or doesn't see this actor or is, you know, works this way, right? So got to accept it. Okay. So to make them feel held, make them feel heard and bring everybody together and their, and their visions. And it can get super tricky. And so if you just can, I don't know, let your own ego fall away a lot you know there were times in my life where I really wasn't kind of good at that like I would take everything you know, take it all in take it all in you know, take, well because there are often times there's a lot of times where we're screamed at where we're insulted why did you bring in that actor you're a fraud you know like you're bringing in like horrible things are said to us oh yeah Whoa. in the middle of the in the middle of the production office. Wow. Screaming. Like producers are like effects. It, it sounds like the, the garment business. What I experienced yes. for a minute, totally it was really nasty. Like, yeah. Especially when, like, we work so hard, you know, and you do want everyone to feel like you have everything taken care of. You know, but when you have, like, we're not doing math. You have a bunch of opinions, right? And you have a bunch of voices exactly. all screaming at you. And we have to make everyone feel, again, like hurt, but it's almost like which voice is the loudest? Which is the person who's has the final say in something when I'm dealing with 10 producers, you know, who is, who's the one who has the final say? And, oh my God, yeah, terrible things said to us. Right, like, and 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 so you have to shoot it again. Just kind of learning to not bring that home with you. Yes, it's not like I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid. Like, 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 where's my comfort place? You know what I mean? Like, and actors think they're the only ones, right. you know, because we all, but we're all made to feel vulnerable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's why that's why your classes when you like you tie it in personally. It's like how you know it's like you, you go through the same things and you really relate to them in that way. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Nobody does special programs like one-on-one next level. It's where we really help actors shine. I'm Emilio. I signed with my Southeast agent right after the Atlanta trip, and now I'm auditioning several times every month. And you know, I almost didn't do the Atlanta trip because I thought it was just another cash grab. I can tell you from experience that it's not. That's not how one-on-one next level rolls. And here we are six months later, and I already booked my first job with my Atlanta agent. I'm Rebecca, and the Bridge program demystified the industry for me. It gave me the platform to get off book in under 10 minutes. I met 60 new artists that are now all a part of my community, and I even signed with a manager. I have never walked away from a program so confident in my abilities. I'm so grateful for one-on-one next level. My name is Capenna, and I can finally call myself a working actor after participating in the LA Super Showcase. I had just moved to LA and I felt stuck. I came across the LA Super Showcase and let me tell you, it was a life-changing experience. I signed with an agent and since then, I've been auditioning for series regulars and booked my first TV job. 
I finally feel like I made it to the next level thanks to one-on-one -on -one next level. In the next 12 months, one-on-one -on -one next level will host 27 special programs, bringing you unmatched exclusive access to industry connections. Special programs aren't just a one and done class. Instead, they're designed to accomplish in a weekend what it takes most actors months, even years to do. So whether you want to get repped in a smaller market like Atlanta, bypass casting directors and connect directly with TV showrunners and decision makers, or spend a weekend meeting a bunch of musical theater industry professionals in New York City, you have to become a member to be eligible to sign up for our special programs. To apply, go to www.1on1nextlevel.com. We can't wait to hear your success story. Kind of piggybacking off of this, like I love how you're like so open and because you're such a you're such a deep reservoir, like of like just like real talk and like like a wealth of information. I think a lot of people in the industry aren't necessarily open to sharing sometimes, and I think you you're so open about you know, maybe some of the struggles that you know you go you go through on a day to day basis as part of your casting life. And the reason why we started this podcast is you know one on one has been existed for over thirty years and it. Yeah. hasn't always been easy. In fact, it's not easy on a day-to-day -day basis. And Mark always has this saying, like, where there's a will, there's a way. And we've, you know, got through a lot to still be here. And, like, with our actors, it always makes us sad when we see them. They kind of, like, they want they, they want this to be math, right? They want this to be a formula. I do this, I do that, and then I'm a star. Or, you know, if I meet this person, then I have my career. So what we're trying to kind of hoping that they get from this podcast is sometimes you have to take a risk. Sometimes you have to think outside of the box. And sometimes you're doing something that like 10 out of the 12 people in your life are saying is a bad idea, but in your gut, you know, it's the right thing. Yes. And you take that risk, risk and you be authentic and yes. then you rise through. So my question for you is, has there ever been a point in your like casting life where you took a risk, you took a gamble and it really just, you know, blew away the obstacles or really like a gutsy decision that you made? That's a really, really good question. I mean, I think it's been in terms of taking jobs. You know what I mean? Like, so in terms of leaving something that was really secure mm, like a series. for something that may have felt like, like a gamble, you know, um, when I was working for Megan Lieberman and Mark Hirschfeld, you know, and Meg and Mark were amazing bosses and they were casting absolutely everything in town. Mm -hmm. And I was casting Third Rock from the Sun for them. And I loved the producers, Bonnie and Terry Turner and the actors on the show. It was just, and all of the writers, it was such a happy family. And then I got this job to be the head of casting at Imagine because Tony Kranz came in and started a television department with Ron Howard and Brian Grazer. And, you know, I wasn't making a lot of money for Megan Mark, but it still was safe. It was such a happy home, you know, and I wasn't actually the one having to put my neck out there and bring work in. Like mm -hmm. that was Megan Mark's job. They were the company, right? Mm -hmm. So we were in this happy fold of a family, right? But then I got this opportunity and it was terrifying. And so much of me felt like, I don't know enough to head a department in a television studio and blah, blah, blah. I probably didn't. 
<laughs> but it was really terrifying to leave that home of May Mark, you know, and and go do something completely different and be an executive. You know what I mean? Which is not exactly who I am. You know, I'm a little bit more funky and I'm the person who wants to scream in the library just because they say don't. You know what I mean? It's a little more corporate than, than sure. But a great opportunity that you probably phenomenal yeah, you'd go anywhere from there. Yeah. What a blessing. Oh my I gosh. Mean, what a blessing. And what a great decision you made. And so, but it was terrifying. Yeah. And I did not know up from down for so long. And and you know, and still like I kind of, this is the way I look at life, is that aren't we always evolving? Aren't we always learning? Like, aren't we always, I mean, if I could do that job now, I would do it so much more differently. Like, I think I'd be so much better of an executive now. Right? So much more experience. Because yeah. of all the experience that I have. You know, and then it was also hard to leave Imagine, right, to partner with my dear, dear friend, Bonnie Zane. Right, and to start our own partnership. I was like, Bonnie, I don't like, I haven't been casting in so long. Like, why do you want to partner with me? Like, I'm just going to be having to hang on your coattails as a casting director until I start generating my own work. And she's like, I have more work than I know what to do with you. I mean, she wanted somebody to help the artist. It was, that was also like a big risk to leave the safety of a corporate job. And, health insurance and this secure paycheck and this structure, right? And this, again, a beautiful family there to then go off on your own with yeah. no health insurance because casting directors weren't in a union then. Mm -hmm. And to like kind of put myself out there was terrifying, but I was like, dear friend. And that was also a great, great experience. We had a 20 year amazing Whoa partnership where we were fortunate enough to be working all the time in the cutest house in large and even in the beginning before casting directors were unionized we had health insurance we provided health insurance for our employees wow. Like, wow, we kept them cool. working year-round like we you know paid them at the time just really decent salaries you know out of our own pockets like we so we paid them more than what the studios were paying us for them. Oh, and so, you know, we were really, really proud of that. Yeah. And so that was terrifying. And you know, it's, and it is, again, I feel like I'm like, no, this is terrifying. When you say terrifying, was it also liberating because no more corporate environment? Yes, of course. And that's also part of the reason that I wanted to partner with Bonnie is I wanted to start a family. Mm. And at that time, you know, in the in television executive land, there was this whole psychology like whoever leaves the office earliest is they're not working as hard as everybody yeah, else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it was never spoken. Yeah. But you know you're ready to anybody. There just is this kind of there's this code. Yes. Unwritten code. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I wanted to start a family. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so the idea of Doing that, where you can kind of create your own schedule more, mm. was also part of the reason that that leaving and partnering with Bonnie was just yeah. so much more like enticing. And, and plus, I am a creative person. Mm -hmm. I miss being creative. I miss being part of the creative family that gets to put together mm -hmm. pieces of the puzzle and project. Yeah. Right? Like that's that's what I love. Yeah. So you know, but but too like 
as a casting director, any time you're kind of putting forth... This is also another thing that I can relate to actors about, that, it, that like fear factor, right? It comes back to reading people, reading your producers, reading your director, reading your executives, is that as casting directors, when we passionately put forward who we love, the actors that we love, right? Sometimes we have to be careful. Um, because sometimes you have executive producers who do not want to be told uh, by a casting director mm -hmm. who they're supposed to like. Uh, and then you have to let go and they don't choose that person, right? You go like oftentimes they will go the exact opposite direction. To show you, you just show you who's boss. And I don't know if they're aware of that psychology. I don't know if it's an overt thing, uh -huh. right? Yeah. But I've worked on shows. And this is the, this was part of the reason that Bonnie and I had our own office was so that, that the two of us as well as our staff could all off gas. Like, Does this feel crazy? Does this feel crazy? I'm like yes, I'm totally crazy. You know, like you would you would come to an understanding of what the producer psychology is on a certain show, and because we we had a show that we worked on for a number of years, and we would just give them like. Great actor reads, and like, who else do you have? So we'd have another casting session. Who else do you have? But they would never be able to articulate what it was about these other groupings of actors that they were seeing that they didn't like. What is it that you're not seeing? Like, help me help you. Like, or what is it you're seeing too much of? Because they were in a different state. Oh. All of these people, the show did not shoot in town. Oh. And so you're like, okay, great. Like, I'm always happy to see more actors, but help me get closer to your vision. Mm -hmm. What is it that you're not seeing of these actors? How can I direct these actors in a way that you're seeing the role that you're not seeing in these groups? <sighs> Who are the awful only actors that are available? <laughs> they consider themselves very fancy. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Is, you know... Is this Game of Thrones actor available? Um, no, because they're not Game of Thrones. <laughs> is John C. Riley available? Yeah, I don't think he's doing an episode of this because he's got a thriving movie career. <laughs> but I'll make that call for you. You know what I mean? Right. And so what we had to start doing was saying that actors were offer only. <laughs> When their agents would say, oh, no, they'll come in and read. No, 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 I know. Just send me their reel. <laughs> because that actor who would come in to read for, like, maybe four or five different roles on the series, but was never booking it because they were reading for the role, now all of a sudden they're offer only. Mm -hmm. Let's make an offer to that actor. Right. So I knew with this show, if ever I was, like, passionate about an actor, they were almost guaranteed to not get the job. So I had to start curbing my opinions. That's mm. not what, so. And it's really hard to do. Yeah, that's tough. Because the way casting directors look at it is that's why you hired us. Right. Is because we know actors. We know this. We are actually educated 
about the skill set of this actor, about their resume, about so like when we're saying, you know, we're talking about reasons A through Z, why this actor is perfect for this role, if you're just discarded, well, okay. And I just think there are a lot of producers out there who look at us like, it's a, it's a phrase Alison Jones coined, I believe. Alison Jones is a genius. And some people just want you to be a casting hostess. Oh. They just want you to shut up and just keep bringing in actor after actor after actor after actor after actor. And they don't really care what your opinion is. Do not tell me who to like. Just bring in, bring in the next person. And so, so that comes into why I said earlier on this conversation that part of our job is about reading people, mm-hmm. you know, because if that's all they want from me, okay, I can't like be so disgruntled, right. you know, that that's all they want from me, then I'll do your, this job that way. Mm-hmm. It may not be as fun, it may not be as exciting, and I may never want to work for you again. <laughs> right. Lesson right. learned, right? But that's the job, is then you move on, right? But there are some people, and I will always work for these people, you know, who just absolutely value how deeply the casting director collaborates on the project, Mm. how integral a part of their vision we are. And those are the producers who are like, what do you think? Oh my God, I love, okay, this is what I'm not seeing. This is what I'd love to see. Okay, great. And there's just a constant creative conversation that's happening. That is so exciting. That gets everybody closer to sculpting the vision. Right? Because part of a casting, the fun of the casting director is like, okay, this is, what's on, this is what's on the page, right? But here's a completely different way to go that I think is really exciting or it could be crazy, but you guys tell me, right? But when someone isn't looking at you and going, why the hell did you bring that after? When they're like, oh my God, I totally get what you're seeing. Yeah. It was a little too weird. Yeah. But let's remember him for a different role. These are the kinds of conversations. This is the perfect wave for a casting oh, director. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Yes. When you get to actually collaborate with your executive producer and your director in that way, mm. where it actually is a team, it's what I live for, you yeah. know? So, you know, so it kind of goes back to I always have the most circuitous answers to any question but it kind of goes back to casting directors are always putting themselves on the line Mm. it can always be a little terrifying when you are passionately fighting for an actor because that is from what we are judged right so an actor is judged from the way they immerse themselves in the scene the choices that we make ours is our taste and the way we are able to talk about an actor and the way we merge the writer and executive and producer and director's visions with what's on the page the way we challenge it the way we stand by your decision or your your suggestion exactly yeah that's that's excellent because what you risk is that executive producer putting you on speakerphone and screaming at you that you're a fucking hack Uh, in the middle of all uh, of the people that you work with. 
Uh, and by the way, the actor who that executive producer called me, you know, a hack for hiring is very famous movie star. Oh, of course. And yeah. director. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, yeah. but, but, you know, those things like you, they can like embed in you a little bit, you know, like they hurt our feelings right? as much as we want to say, and there are some people like that who can just be like, just roll off your back, just let it roll off your back. Like I get it when actors like why they kind of want to approach a scene safely, mm-hmm. why they want it to be tidy. They don't want to risk that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you, you don't get anywhere. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was going to ask yeah. you, if we were to put a, a button on this for the actors to conclude as far as like what you would say to them when dealing with coming into the casting room, as far as just some good words of like inspiration and advice. Uh, well, you know what? They need to know. And I say this in every class. They need to know that every casting director is on their side, right? So sometimes they get bad vibes from casting directors or the team in the casting office or the producers or the director, right? But what every single person in that room genuinely wants is for you to come in and nail it, right? They're not judging you. Not a person is judging you as a human being. You know what I mean? Like, nobody, unless you do something insane. (laughs) And we have had actors come in and do kind of insane things, right? Like, throw chairs against the wall or, like, do kind of weird, like, really weird stuff, right? Unless you do something insane that would make somebody question how you would behave on a set, right? Aside from that, Everybody wants you to come in and have fun and just be in it. You get this these few minutes to do art, right? So that's why I try and always say, wipe away the fear. Come in and play. Come in and have fun. Because then we want to give you direction. We want to be able to adjust what you're doing. But we can't really do that if you're not coming in with game and gaming. 100% energy and choices and blah. And not worried about the result. Not worried about the result. Yes. But it is not a director's job or a casting director's job, and I say this also in all my classes, to help you become an interesting storyteller. <laughs> yes. It's not our job to teach you how to create an interesting character for the gra- from the ground up. Like we assume that your training, your classes, whatever kind of training, people don't have any. They're just going off gut and that's great too. But that that's what your process is your process and that's what you have. Like don't make me tell you how to sculpt something interesting from the ground up, right? That's not my job. Right. It's not, you know, it's my job to say, okay, that was awesome. Great. Now let's let's make it a little bit more withholding at the top of the scene, and then and then let that energy build. And when you come to this part and this dynamic and this speech, then just let him have it. You or whatever it is, yes. right? But you have to come. We want to know that every day you come on set, you're acting opposite that series regular or that lead or your fellow guest and co-stars, and that. You can hold your own. You know, you don't just 
fold like a cheap card table. (laughs) (laughs) And so if you're only coming in and giving me the safe read that everybody's going to give me, okay, you're going to get some co-star roles, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But what we all want you to do is just go for it. And have everyone is on your side because one, we want to get the role cast, okay? But two, like when an actor comes in and has fun and goes for it, it makes us look good, it makes everybody feel good because it goes back to what we were saying. It all ties into Burning Man. We all feed <laughs> off each other's energy, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it's incredible. We all feed off each other's energy. And I know that we've become a society that is hiding behind social media, hiding behind a 2D cheap experience, right? And so maybe it is a little bit terrifying to completely let your emotions get messy, to completely let your humanity fly, to look people in the eye or see how they're responding to you, right? But this is the grid of life, and it's the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, the, the late great Gary Winnick once told me, that he was a film director, not TV so much, but he said, your job, meaning the actor's job, is to show me, the director, who the character is. I'm not waiting to tell you, I want you to show me. And you know what, it really hit home. Yes, tell me a story. There you go. Tell me a story. That's what you're saying there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is why we love you. Your energy is unbelievable. Yeah, this has been so this is amazing. Yeah. Always. I could talk to you guys forever. This one you have helped so many. Just this was this is what it's about. You but probably to all of your actors who have taken my class are like, oh, there she goes again. No, no. She is. There's, there's repeats, you know. <laughs> and I'm just showing like the great stuff because I, I I said this in the initial, you know, I was like, I don't want to be like a sad foundation thing or like a, or you're like a workshop QA or whatever. It's like, you know, it, it kills our soul. <laughs> so it's this is such an interesting, you know, just to get to know you more. And, oh. you know, I, I feel like we've known each other for so long. Yeah. But I learned stuff about you, you know, through this too. So, and and, and, yeah, everything today is because all of us can share, everybody, those things that are larger than life, they're the things that make us feel alive. And that's why when we talk to you every time, it's always like, okay, it's not just a conversation, it's like something larger than life. Something larger than life, or it's just life. Right. Right. But but life is exciting, it's a gift. And we forget that. That it's a gift. Well, so many people in this industry have like taught, and they're like, well, why are you even doing it? It's like, it's like, what's the point if it's going to be like this, you know? What's the point if it's just going to be like this? That is boring. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, thank you. You are not boring. You guys are a joy. Yeah. I'm so honored that you guys always have me back. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done it yet, grab the backstage pass. You've got to get the backstage pass. There's behind the scenes footage. We've taken the biggest takeaways from the episode and written them down for you. There's also tools and resources to help move your career forward. It's the easiest way to turn this podcast into a tool for your career, as opposed to something you just listen to as you're doing the dishes. 